the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Wednesday, May 24th. I am Seth Liebson, and our phone number is 602-508-0960. It's a big political news day, and love to hear your thoughts on it, particularly Ron DeSantis's official announcement today. David Dahl, welcome back. You see, I see you have a pin on. What do you got? What's your pin today? What's your lapel pin? Our kind of man, Wallace for governor. <laughs> Wallace for governor, huh? So what year is that, 66 or a re-election? Well, this would have been 62, I want to say, when he ran in for the Alabama governor. Oh, is it 62? Yeah, it would have been his first. Yeah, that's right, because his segregation speech was in 63 in his inaugural. Good good on you. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, he, uh, he, ma- he made some changes uh, in his life over time, and uh, toward the end of his life uh, went to a lot of black churches, as I recall, seeking forgiveness is that your understanding of it too yeah he disavowed a lot yeah. of stuff yeah. you know, and there are interesting it's an interesting um historical i guess you might what you might call dichotomy because uh you know just people's lifespans you can see pictures yeah. of president clinton yeah. and george wallace together yeah. which are the which is the weirdest thing you yeah. know, democrats from one side yeah. and the other side yeah yeah absolutely uh every saint has a past every sinner has a future and i don't know if George Wallace got to the point of saint, but he was the named party in one of the most important Supreme Court decisions having to do with a moment of silence for school uh, reflection in the case of Wallace v. Jaffrey. And the dissent in that opinion written by Justice Rehnquist is a great tour for anyone who wants to understand properly the history of the notion of the separation between church and state. Justice Rehnquist does a great job in his dissent of running you through that history. Let me get to my monologue. Vanity Fair. Most of us today hear that, Vanity Fair, and think of the glossy Manhattan-based magazine. The phrase actually does come from somewhere, and that somewhere is a piece of old and classic literature, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. The Vanity Fair is the celebratory festival in a city built by and designed for the worship of Satan. At the Vanity Fair, everything is sold so long as it encourages vice, and the festival is year-round. Remember, too, what vanity is, especially as we learn it from Ecclesiastes. It means emptiness. So at the Vanity Fair, as John Bunyan writes, what is sold is, quote, Lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts as prostitutes, bods, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and whatnot. And moreover, he writes at this fair, there is at all times to be seen juggling cheats, games, plays, fools, apes, knaves, and rogues, and that of every kind, close quote. That is what the Vanity Fair was, and remember, in a city built by and dedicated to the worship of Satan. And there's this glossy and fancy magazine of that title. It's effectively a society and gossip monthly, dressed up as some kind of, I don't know, cosmopolitan or esquire meets the National Enquirer. High society loves it. 
and the magazine dabbles or tries to dabble in politics. So their political headline today is this on the Ron DeSantis announcement for the presidency. Quote, report, Ron DeSantis will formally announce his 2024 bid with Elon Musk because apparently David Duke wasn't available. Close quote. I'll repeat that. Ron DeSantis will formally announce his 2024 bid with Elon Musk because apparently David Duke wasn't available. Elon Musk is David Duke. To a magazine a lot of society takes seriously, but then again, named after a festival dedicated to the worship of Satan. This seems to me just about perfect, as we live in a country where Los Angeles, the city of angels, and its most famous athletic, if not recreational symbol, the L.A. Dodgers, is honoring a transgender nunnery titled the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, whose motto is go forth and sin some more. Are we supposed to ignore all this or take it seriously? It's hard to keep track or know anymore. Certainly New York society takes Vanity Fair seriously. And certainly the L.A. Dodgers take the most base form of mockery of the Catholic Church available and try to make it serious. Meanwhile, Target stores are up to their neck in a public affairs crisis because the panjandrums there thought it a good idea to sell transgender clothes to toddlers. People seem to make sport of the notion that we are in dire need of some kind of cultural reformation or revival here. But I will tell you this. I think what we may need is an exorcism. It is of some note that the candidate most willing to take on these cultural and cultural corporate depredations is Ron DeSantis. So it is only appropriate in a certain sense that a magazine named after the Devil's Playground would try to libel his campaign announcement as neo-Nazi. For only in a world of vanity or emptiness, which is to say empty meaning, can DeSantis or Musk be anywhere in the same room, much less sentence as David Duke. Here's my guess. Most of the writers and editors at Vanity Fair have never read John Bunyan or know the etymology of their magazine's name, just as they don't know that Elon Musk has not even allowed David Duke back on Twitter. So this raises an interesting question. David Duke has been relatively quiet and forgotten and never appeared in respected company. But you know who hasn't been quiet and who has appeared in respected company? His analog in another part, David Duke's analog in another part of the racialist and extremist community, Louis Farrakhan. I think it's likely fair to say, too, that Farrakhan even says more racist things than David Duke. As David Duke, when I have seen him rise from under his rock, couches most of his language in weird and perverse forms of nationalism, but without the ravings of the KKK he used to represent a few decades back. But here's Farrakhan. And in the past five years... I'll just start reading some quotes of his. Satanic Jews have infected the whole world with poison and deceit. The Jews have control over those agencies of government. When you want something in this world, the Jew holds the door. Jews were responsible for all this filth and degenerate behavior that Hollywood is putting out, turning men into women and women into men. White folks are going down, and Satan is going down, and Farrakhan, by God's grace, has pulled the cover off of that Satanic Jew, and I'm here to say your time is up. Your world is through. You good Jews better separate because the satanic ones will take you to hell with them because that's where they are headed. It is now becoming apparent that there were many Israelis and Zionist Jews in key roles in the 9-11 attacks. Israelis had foreknowledge of the attacks. We know that many Jews received a text message not to go to work on September 11th. Let me put the end of the quote marks there. And why do I repeat all this? 
because while Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk would never share a stage with David Duke, guess who has shared a stage with Louis Farrakhan, the author of all those words I just quoted? Bill Clinton. And this was less than five years ago. Vanity Fair didn't care about that for what it's worth. Never touched it. So they invent an impossible fiction to paint the Republicans as neo-Nazis while they ignore the actual factual in front of our eyes happenings of Democrats coddling, hugging, and sharing an actual stage with David Duke's revulsive and retrograde views, someone with a much larger following than David Duke's, to boot. You also have Barack Obama posing with Louis Farrakhan. Only when words and phraseology have lost all meaning become vain or empty, one might say, can you tie Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis to Nazism? Just as, I suppose, only in a nightmare of depravity and heresy can you have nuns who are transgendered and encouraged, without even trying to conceal it, the active pursuit of sin. It's in their motto. One might call all this the modern tempting of America, given especially as Satan is known as the great tempter. But this is what you get when words and reason and civility lose all their roots and meanings. This is also how you cleanse the public and political stage of decency and conservatism. This is how you shape the social and political mind. So when we express shock at unmoored, violent actions, especially those committed by our youth, and as we remind ourselves that today is the one-year commemoration of the Uvalde massacre at the hands of an 18-year-old, it is certainly a healthy sign that we can still express shock at such things. But we must also begin to wonder how much shock there is left in us and how much longer such awful events will continue to shock us. There was a popular book some years ago titled, Why Don't People Blush Anymore? I fear a book soon titled, Why Aren't People Shocked Anymore? Shock should be a legitimate response to shocking things, but can only be so if we maintain the ability to be shocked. We have stopped protecting the poignancy, import, and meaning of words like Nazi or racism or white supremacy, things that should shock. Indeed, we just plaster them everywhere and on anything. We have stopped protecting the poignancy, import, and noxiousness of people like Hitler or David Duke. We give awards to and honor a group calling themselves nuns in the service of indulgence and sin from an organization with the word angels in their name in a city of the same. We give true violence glossed apologetics for being mostly peaceful. And in doing so, we become numb to where and when serious analogs with once serious words and names should become truly apt, as in real racism, as in Louis Farrakhan, as in true religious bigotry and mockery, as in truly violent uprisings and riots. I like to remind that the most important lesson from Aesop about the boy who cried wolf is that at the end there really was a wolf. Recall when the boy played his trick on the villagers, falsely alarming them of a wolf, when they took it seriously and showed up to protect him and his flock, the boy laughed. He so amused himself in his own version of pleasures and lies, as a good vanity fair would have it, he did it again. When a real wolf ultimately did show, Aesop tells us, the boy ran to the village screaming in terror. But the villagers said they would not be fooled again. And of course, we know what happened. The wolf dined. We have real racists among us. We have truly violent people among us. We have real bigotry among us. And we will have more in the future. My fear, like the village elders from Aesop, we have been numbed to them or 
told they only matter once in a while, like if they are in the service of opposing one political party, for that is when we should care about them. In other words, these toxicities have been neutered and rendered meaningless as amusements toward ideological political ends, ends of the worst kind, ends we once called evil. Too many are worshiping all that today. Too many are ignoring all that today. But it is, at the end of the day, truly perfect to identify it for what it is, a vanity fair. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back and uh, farewell to uh, Tina Turner. Long life. Uh, died uh, age uh, 83 today. Uh, one of the greatest comebacks in all of uh, entertainment history. I think mostly written off for about a decade until the 1980s. And she just made a tremendous comeback. Someone who, when she, um, when she ultimately left her husband, Ike Turner, literally had 20 cents to her name. 20 cents. She had 20 cents to her name and uh, became the queen of rock and roll. Uh, we wish her uh, family and fans uh, all our best. Okay, uh, let's see. What are we? Bill in Phoenix. Hello, Bill. How are you? Hey, Seth. Really enjoy your show. Thank you. Okay, my comment is uh, try to get right to the point. Okay. I'm 70, uh, 78, be 79, retired, worked uh, till I was 76, and I'm not quite understanding our government. The people who are responsible for the government, making the decisions and responsible for the budget, are not going to get their act together, and the first people everybody is going to cut their money on is retirees, military, the poor, and all these other agencies. But I hear nothing about the people who are responsible for the problem having their paychecks cut or held. And I don't mean cut and held and then paid back down the road. I mean, if it ain't done, they don't get the paycheck back. Just a thought. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, it's interesting. If you look at some of these numbers, uh, according to the Congressional Budget Office, in uh, 2022, last year, we took in $4.9 trillion dollars. $4.9 trillion, that was total revenues that the government, U.S. government took in. Think about that, $4.9 trillion. And I'll tell you why to think about that, because who can, who can imagine what any of these numbers amount to? 4.9. In 2020, we spent $4.4 trillion dollars. We spent 4.4. We spent more. Excuse me. We took in more last year. We took in more last year than we spent three years ago. The idea that we don't have enough money <clears throat> to service our debts, much less fund the operations of the federal government, is laughable. It's risible. You think about the nature of these things and the odd talking points that the Democrats have put out on Joe Biden having cut $1.7 trillion. That's just a lie. This was additional COVID spending that disappeared on its own. He presided over it. He didn't cut it. He presided over it. 
But the notion that we couldn't have a spending plan that looks like pre-COVID or the year of COVID, the first year of COVID before we started spending surplus monies to handle COVID and its lockdowns and shutdowns and all that, that that's what I want you to think about. That's how much money we took in last year. More than what we spent in 2020. And then, of course, our deficit last year was about almost $2 trillion. Um, Almost $2 trillion. The difference, basically, between what we took in last year and the entirety of what we spent as recently as 2002. You're right, Bill, that if we can't have public servants who do their jobs, they really ought to be treated the way other people get treated when they don't do their jobs, fired or suspending of pay. Now, I guess one could argue, well, we give them that chance every couple of years. But the amount of damage that can be done in two years, if you want an example of the amount of damage that can be done in two years, think about the amount of damage that was done, that we all saw, that we all felt, that we all know, that was done simply between the years 2020 and 21, one year. Now add 2020 to 2022, those two years. We can talk about term limits. We can talk about elections every two years or four years, depending on the office, or six even. But think about how much damage can be done. How powerful is the point? How powerful federal officials have been uh, how much power the federal officials have been given, how much power they wield. Think about that. The levels of damage. We used to think of our system of checks and balances. We used to think of it as something that would restrain power. And by the way, we would rely on a media to help expose it if they weren't. That's how far a distance we've traveled because we don't have that country right now. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website is grandcanyonplanning.com. Easy enough to remember. Great website. Great way to get in touch with him. He's also the host of his own show right here, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth. How are you today, John? Fantastic, Seth. Thank you. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you here because I need you to explain something. I uh, I had to take the mandatory macroeconomics class in college, but I didn't go <laughs> fur- much further beyond it. I did read some Milton Friedman, Milton Friedman in my own um, on my own time, and I read some Adam Smith. But there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today, and I can't tell if it's important or not, or on the right track or not. By economist Donald Luskin, inflation has peaked. Get ready for deflation. Price increases would have eased without the Fed's tightening, he writes, which we will soon see was overkill. Tell me about deflation and is it something we should worry about? 
Well, you know, there was a period of time not too long ago when we had zero inflation. And uh, that was just a couple years ago under President Trump. And we we were concerned in some ways that it was possible we could go into a deflationary period. And um, but it didn't happen. But in this situation here, the Fed really did do some incredible uh, movement with interest rates in such a short period of time. This is a historic move, what they've done to try to keep uh, inflation at bay and not get you know, two out of hand. Mm-hmm. At, at its peak, over 9% inflation was. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we've got inflation well below that. Um, but the fear is is that if the money supply gets so constricted and so difficult for people to borrow, um, then there's a real strong possibility that that could tailspin us into a deflationary period of time where uh, people completely constrict their spending, stop spending, and uh, we could we could have just an opposite effect of what we just experienced, which is not necessarily a good thing. Again, just too much inflation is bad, and too much in the deflation is bad as well. It's a delicate balance, and that's why I think the Fed's trying to keep that 2 to 3% is where they want that target to be, to have a steady stream of growth of the economy. But if we go into a deflationary period, that would be a, uh, a bad scenario for the economy as well. Um. So is this often going to be resultant from overcorrection? Is it going to be resultant from an increase in supply and goods and services with money valued, overvalued, or perhaps at a higher value than people were used to without enough time for an adjustment? These are the, I guess these are the yes. combined ingredients yeah. that would cause a deflation. Yes, to all of that, yeah, right. So okay. in this, this article, um, you know, the author is basically saying the Fed did too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he felt that the uh, market would have corrected itself in time. Um, but the Fed reacted the way they did, and the fear is, is that they overreacted, and it's creating a tightening in money money policy right now that could have an adverse effect and create a def- deflationary scenario. Okay. Uh, I would hope that's not the case. In some cases, deflation could be worse than inflation. Okay. Yeah, right. I can imagine that. That, that. That's exactly right. And it can also lead to higher unemployment, too, can't it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Spending stopping across the board Yeah. Uh, and uh, money supply uh, very tight. Yeah, it could be a real challenge. Okay. All right. Thank, I, I don't thank you. I don't I think we've got time yet before yeah. that that, you know, but uh, it is. A, we hope the Fed doesn't raise again, you know, at the next meeting or in, even in the meeting for July. That would be the, the thought. But they are still sticking close to their guns as, uh, you know, saying if we need to, we will raise. Okay. All right. John, uh, you were talking about the volatility in the markets uh, yesterday with us. Yeah. And uh, today, not great stuff, right? Uh, yep. This, yep. This, is, this is mostly, I'm guessing, tied to the debt, uh, the debt yeah. ceiling debate. That's what I'm guessing. And the sooner we can get it, that completed, the better that things will stabilize. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to see this volatility till, until we get a deal. Um, you know, even though we had some, again, corporate earnings coming out today, some yeah. of the retailers reporting very strong. Okay. Uh, you know, but the market's pulling back on the fear of this debt ceiling issue. Okay. Uh, but after hours, NVIDIA reported, which is the chip company, and with all the AI talk out there, NVIDIA jumped after uh, the market closed after their reporting, up over 25%. Oh. So 
Uh, there are some real positive things out there in the market right now, but because of the debt ceiling issue, that is really holding back what I believe could be uh, a little bit of a bull run for the market here in the short term if we get this settled. Well, if you want to help uh, have have the best help available to navigate it, you're the guy to call John Dombrowski, so thank you. Well, thank you. They can reach me, of course, at our website, grandcanyonplanning.com. Securities and Advisory Services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. You can do that by phone, too, huh? You can, do, you, <laughs> do you, like, dream that phraseology? Is it, has it uh, appeared in your dreams? It's embedded in my brain, yes. <laughs> Bless you, sir. Thank you, J.D. Thank you. All right. Okay. Talk, talk to you later. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Best I could tell, a little north of a couple hundred thousand people tuned in to uh, to watch Ron DeSantis announce his, his campaign on Twitter, but not without a glitch. I suppose the lesson should be, if you're going to do something uh, highly innovative and different, uh, be Make sure all those holes are covered. Uh, Reading here from CNBC, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign announcement plans Wednesday were derailed by massive technical glitches on Twitter that prevented him from declaring his candidacy. Servers are straining somewhat, Elon Musk, Twitter's owner, was heard saying on the app's live audio stream where he and DeSantis were supposed to have a conversation that included the governor's first verbal announcement of the White House bid. Musk's comment came in between crashes, feedback, glitches, and audio failures that prevented the conversation on Twitter's space feature. Um, And uh, it had to uh, be moved over to a different conversation spaces site, uh, which I guess, as I say, some some number a little bit north of 200,000 last uh, I looked at it uh, did tune in. And, you know, Ron DeSantis will be doing the uh, We'll be doing uh, the evening uh, television shows. He's going to be on uh, Fox later this evening, I guess, with Trey Gowdy. Um, and, he, and, he, and he released a, um, a video ad uh, or a one-minute television ad as well today uh, that I, I, I thought could have been better. Um, but you all, you all can tell me. Uh, I'll, I'll play it for you uh, in the next uh, segment. Uh, I, I just thought it could have been better. I expected better. I I expected something to be overwhelmingly powerful. That's what I expected. And it just kind of was more of a it just it just seemed very average to me. But let me not lead that witness too terribly far. And I'll let you make your own decision about it when we come back. Um, as for Joe Biden. Byron York is reporting on more bad news for him, speaking of the presidential race. The evidence is piling up, Byron writes, that most people don't believe Joe Biden is mentally or physically fit to serve a second term as president of the United States. A few weeks weeks ago, uh, there was that poll by ABC News and The Washington Post that found 63 percent of registered voters did not think Biden had the mental sharpness to serve and that 62 percent said he's not good enough in good enough physical health to serve. Now. When you get a poll like that, you have to see if it's replicated or if it was an outlier. It was not an outlier. 
A new poll from Harvard-Harris asked the question a slightly different way. Is Joe Biden mentally fit to serve as president of the United States, or do you have doubts about his fitness for office? 57% of registered voters said they have doubts about Biden's mental fitness, while 43% said they believe he is fit to serve. And then the pollsters asked a broader question. Do you think Joe Biden is showing he is too old to be president, or do you think he is showing he is fit to be president? 65% said Biden is showing he is too old to be president, while 35% said he is fit. 65% is a huge number. Breaking it down by party, the results showed that 94% of Republicans believe Biden too old to be president, while 74% of independents said the same thing. But even among Democrats, 33%, that's a full third, said the president is too old to serve. Now, That's not going to get better now that you have two polls confirming vast majorities in America thinking that. That's not a number that's going to get better because we don't have Benjamin Button here. He's not getting younger and better by the day. He's getting worse by the day. The pollster's next question, Byron points out, uh, identified the real-world consequences of Biden's age. The question was, do you think President Biden is able to serve another full term as president? Or do you think Kamala Harris would wind up taking over at some point if Biden is reelected? 61% of respondents, a clear majority, think Vice President Harris will become President Kamala Harris at some point in Biden's second term, if there is one. Just 40% said they expect Biden to serve another full term. How can that not be a major issue, perhaps the major issue in the coming presidential campaign? Strong majorities of voters don't believe the president is fit to serve, and strong majorities think Kamala Harris will end up serving if he is reelected, and her numbers, believe it or not, are lower than Joe Biden's, not on age or mental acuity, but on simple competence. This, this, this will be a major campaign issue. The other thing that I find interesting to be a major campaign issue is the increasing number of corporations that seem to be like lemmings jumping off the Bud Light, what shall we call it, team of horses. That target now is pulling its its hair out over Pride Month products, which as I was talking about in my monologue, include LGBTQ clothing for toddlers in the toddler section and LGBTQ messaging and outsourcing of some of that messaging to to a corporation that identifies itself literally as fans of Satan. Target and other stores are going down this road and think it's a good idea. They don't because they've been found out, they've been discovered, and now Target is trying to do what the L.A. Dodgers has tried, had tried to do when people pushed back against their asinine action in honoring a fake nunnery, fake, a, 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 a fake uh, group of nuns. And now Target is trying to withdraw, remove that merchandise from their stores, but now they're getting backlash from, obviously, the LGBTQ plus community. So who knows? Who knows 
if Target is going to have to re-reverse as the L.A. Dodgers had to re-reverse. And the next company to go, which I think is North Face, is now going down that road. What is I, – I, I don't understand the thinking behind merchandising that aims to satisfy six-tenths of percent of our population but seriously offends well over a majority of our population, especially and with higher and higher majorities when it targets children or seemingly – seemingly um, sacrosanct institutions like sports. And you may not think of Bud Light as an institution, but as Budweiser found out, it is viewed as an institution. I, I simply don't understand how you can watch what happened to Bud Light and continue to go down that road, except for the force of that activist community. That's what it is. It's about ideology and force. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see if Target re-reverses. I bet they will. I bet they will. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Think about the economy, bank failures, possible recession, inflation, the stock market volatility we were talking about a couple segments ago. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve? Why Refi has that. They have an investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why Refi is headquartered here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. It's on the 101 in Scott. They're on the 101 in Scottsdale Road. I've been there. You won't be asked to sign anything. You won't get a sales pitch. They just like talking about what they do and letting it speak for itself. When you meet with the team at Why Refi, you will see why I like and trust them so much, and you can as well. A due diligence approved firm, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Well, as promised, let me play for you this one-minute DeSantis ad, and you tell me if you think it a little flat as I do. Let's see if I can get it here. Our border is a disaster. Crime infests our cities. The federal government makes it harder for families to make ends meet, and the president flounders. But decline is a choice. Success is attainable, and freedom is worth fighting for. Riding the ship requires restoring sanity to our society, normalcy to our communities, and integrity to our institutions. Truth must be our foundation, and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. In Florida, we prove that it can be done. We chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination, law and order over rioting and disorder. We held the line when freedom hung in the balance. We showed that we can and must revitalize America. We need the courage to lead and the strength to win. I'm Ron DeSantis, 
and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. Well, I try and play the ads of uh, every candidate that announces when they unveil their first ad. Most of the video, by the way, it's a minute long. Most of it is him uh, getting ready to walk on a stage. So it's kind of an interesting what you used to call maybe a little bit of B-roll with him walking towards the stage and then him standing on a stage in front of an American flag. Uh, I just I just thought we would or should have been prepared to be wowed, and I wasn't. But I would love your, your thoughts on it, too. All right. For those of you on hold, we will get to you on the other side of this break, and we always have room for more at 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 